On this episode, we talk about tasteful nudity, frozen burritos for like at least four minutes, and we go miles from nowhere with the great Opus Orange. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Well, welcome everyone. This is the third episode of the Almost There Adventure podcast, and this is our first field trip. I hope you guys have your signed permission slips. We are actually recording from the <laughs> studio of uh, the great uh, PB of Opus Orange, who's done our title song and some other things. Um, welcome. It, thank you. Yeah, we'll be hearing uh, a live track from him towards the end of our show from his new album, which is coming out. Wait, when's it coming out, PB? The 21st of February. So the 21st of February. So if you're listening to this right when it comes out, that's going to be next week. But uh, if you're listening to this in the past, it's already out. So you should definitely seek it out on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your music. Well, uh, at least a couple of us got into the outdoors over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Severia, where, where did you go? So I ended up in Pismo Beach. And it was interesting because we were bringing our dog and we were bringing our camper van. And so we actually just did a state park. We ended up at Pismo Beach because I was searching for beaches that were dog friendly. And it was an OHV like friendly beach. And at first I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. And it was kind of cool. There was like kids running all over the places and cars driving all over the beach. And I had to convince my husband not to drive the van, which is not four wheel drive on the beach, you know, things like that. Um, but it was really fun. It was like there's tons of dogs and families and sand dunes. People were playing in the sand dunes. So it was actually kind of a cool thing. It wasn't necessarily quiet, serene like getaway nature, but it was great for just playing and being at the ocean and all that kind of fun that, stuff. That sounds like a fun place to take a Land Rover Discovery. Yes. <laughs> Do you have one, Jeff? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> I purchased one last year, an old one, a 2003, and um, I'm learning all the jokes that go along with uh, mm -hmm. owning an old Land Rover. Is that Land Rover running at this time? It is not at the moment. The camshaft is being replaced. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we'll be back on the road soon, but, you know, we'll see. I'm we, not holding my breath. We can have a celebration party. We will have we a will. celebration we party. We'll right. yeah, and i got to share one joke, one joke, and that is, uh, how do you know when, um, wait, what, what do you call a Land Rover that isn't leaking? What's that? Empty. <laughs> yeah yeah I, 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 yeah when was the last time the land rover was actually running jeff well not just not that long ago actually so it was running when we were up uh in oregon over the christmas break and we were planning to drive it back down to southern california and i got as far as klamath falls and i started having some you know issues so it's back to the shop it's warranted service and uh you know if all things go well We'll try again, you know, sometime in February to bring it back down. Nice, nice. And, and I made it up to uh, Yosemite last week. I, uh, for years, I've been wanting to catch, uh, catch a snowstorm in Yosemite. And I've caught several snowstorms, but then the next day, it's always very foggy and there's like 0% visibility. So I was actually, I kind of hit the lottery this time and it was like beautiful and clear the next morning. So I got some kind of the snow shots that I've been trying to get there for years. I got a couple of those. So that was pretty exciting for me. Yeah, I saw some of your photos on your Instagram at 
the Muir project and wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. really nice. Yeah. Obviously check our Instagram and whatever, and then you'll, we'll have a little gallery of those when, yeah. the, when this comes out. Cool. cool. How was the park midweek? Was it crowded or not crowded? Or? No, you know, winter is my favorite time of year to go to the Valley. There's just like almost no one there. You know, it's not, if you catch the snowstorm, it's magical. If you don't, it's kind of Brown. Like I saw pictures like the next day after I left and all the snow had already melted and, and the, you know, the valley floor was the brown grass and, you know, the waterfalls aren't running as heavily as they are so that you get in spring or even like midsummer in a good year. But I, it's such a nice, it's like peaceful, right? Like what you kind of think it's, it's going to be when you go in summer, when it ends up being traffic jams and whatever, you actually get that experience in winter. You just need to wear a couple extra layers, but, nice. but no, it was, it was, it was really great. Cool. So we all had sort of mini adventures or no adventures recently, and we are now going to be talking to somebody who is big on big adventures and long adventures, um, and adventures that I can't even fathom. Like, yeah. They, yeah, they just don't even, you know, they're legendary. Yeah, so we interviewed Jeff Garmeyer, a.k.a. Legend. His name might not be what you think, but he has certainly lived up to it uh, since then. So let's, uh, let's roll the interview. Yeah, so we're pretty excited today. We have uh, Jeff Garmeyer, also known as Legend, who is a pretty spectacular thru-hiker, has the best bunch of FKTs, which we'll certainly talk about. Thanks for being on the uh, show, Legend. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're super excited. We'll get to your book, obviously. Why don't we kind of start with, you know, how you got into thru-hiking and like your first couple, because you were a triple crowner, right? Yeah, I was 20 years old in the middle of college. I'd worked um, full time and gone to school for over a year and just was kind of in a rut. So I decided to take spring term off of college and fly down to San Diego and start hiking the PCT. I didn't know too much about it, but I just decided the hiking the Pacific Crest Trail would solve all my questions about my future. So that's how I started out in it with the 55 pound external frame pack and Whoa. i guess <laughs> the rest is history i think i saw that movie yeah so. yeah right yeah exactly yeah so one question was probably answered pretty quickly of questions of life which was not that much weight on your back yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but you could live without yeah. i guess was be there yeah i think the pack went quickly from 55 to 40 or so but it stayed pretty heavy the frame actually broke on the pack it weighed so much <laughs> craziness did you do the uh, Appalachian Trail after that or did you do the the CDT after that I did the Pacific Northwest Trail the summer after I graduated college so that goes from the northwest corner of Washington to Glacier National Park it's like 1200 miles and so it's like half the length of one of the longer trails and my budget just was more in in the realm of a little bit shorter hike and so I did that in 2014 then Went to work for a couple years, and then from there, I left my job and did the calendar year Triple Crown, so I did the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail, all in about a nine-month window. That's just, like, crazy, <laughs> crazy to even, we're all, we're all even think our about. Heads. I know, we're like, it doesn't even seem possible. Just so much. I mean, that's so just... much walking. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things I can't even conceptualize, like, going that far. But it was just one point to another, and before I knew it, I was done with the Appalachian Trail, went over and kind of just kept on moving and was done with the PCT, and before I knew it, it kind of took care of itself. It was like I started it with that as the goal the whole time, but I really, it's too much to, even on just hiking 
any long trail, it's too much to think about the whole trail. So it just kind of happened, I think, by walking every day. So is it is going to be like asking your favorite, who's your favorite child? Do you have a favorite trail? I think the Pacific Crest Trail is the best overall. And it just is such a high level pretty much throughout the whole thing. There's some amazing stuff on the other trails, but there's a lot more, I guess, average stuff mixed in. The PCT is pretty amazing from start to finish. I got to ask kind of a follow on to that, which is the hardest of the three of those three? Um, They're all different. So that's the one that's a little harder, I guess. The Continental Divide Trail is one I wouldn't don't know necessarily hard, but it is a pretty set, like how you're going to do it just because towns are further apart. You kind of have to know what you do and carry more food and stuff. So it's you're more out there on that one. So maybe there's less room for air on that one out of any of them, but they're just, they're all different. <laughs> nice. Um, and then you kind of did like a choose your own adventure last year, right? You kind of created your own. Well, like I had someone done that before you with the, the, the loop. Yeah. So Andrew Skirka had come up with the concept of the loop and I'm, uh, so it's 7,000 miles. It's a loop that connects the PCT to the Pacific Northwest Trail, to the Continental Divide Trail, to the Grand Enchantment Trail, to the Arizona Trail, and then from the Grand Canyon, you create your own adventure for about 700 miles. And he had come up with the plan, I think, on that cross-country section, we'd both done a little different routes, which is kind of the fun of it, too. But yeah, he's the one. One other person, Andrew Skirka, came up with the idea for that. 7,000 mile loop. That's just crazy. Last year you kind of, you did kind of like a new thing for you, which is trying to go for all of the different uh, FKTs, the, the fastest known times. Yeah. Of so I'd done the calendar year triple crown, which was like 8,000 miles in one year. And then in 2018, I did the great Western loop, which was like 7,000 miles. So I <laughs> proved to myself I could go a long ways and I just wanted to see if I could push myself in a new way of doing things fast. So started off and went for the speed record or the fastest known time on the Arizona trail without too much expectation or idea how it was going to go. And it was successful and then kind of rode that into a couple more FKTs. So on the long trail and then the Pinhoti trail. It seemed like I, I'm, they're all hard, obviously. I know that they're all incredibly difficult, but the, the long trail seemed to be a particularly uh, brutal <laughs> adventure for you <laughs> yeah i was i was following you while you were doing it like on social media and stuff and and i just i felt incredibly bad for you while you were doing <laughs> it you want to just kind of maybe talk about that one is, is like the torture yeah like all the injury and and like the mental stuff and all that yeah i mean if we work backwards my body is just now getting to like healthy and that's it's like two months removed from over two months removed from hiking the long trail so it was it definitely took a huge toll but that it was just so steep and the long trail is kind of a trail of two halves so the first um i went southbound so started at the canadian border and headed south but the first half heading south is very rugged and like one of the days had twenty thousand feet of elevation gain and it's just pretty insane wait wait you had 20,000 feet of gain in one day? Yeah, I believe it, that was the, the amount that I hit on day one. <laughs> I mean, that's day just, one? 
that's 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 just insane i mean that's wow so the following morning i couldn't put my shoes on because my legs kept cramping up when i tried to reach down to put them on oh my god yeah i mean that was day one of the long trail was one of the most i guess uh amazing days i've had i just i covered almost 50 miles and i guess 18 hours or something and uh had near about 20,000 feet of elevation gain and felt really good. And then it went downhill from there quick. So the next two days I struggled to keep up and I had my goal to be like, well, I wanted, I knew once I hit the halfway point that things would get easier, but it was just so hard to get there that when I did, I was so far behind schedule that for the second half days, four five and six, I basically gave up sleep and, went through all the nice hallucinations and and all those while trying to push just to set an arbitrary speed record. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of hallucinations? How do they manifest themselves? Yeah, so uh, it for most of the morning <clears throat> after hiking through the night and then in the morning, it felt like I was just jumping on a pogo stick. The world was bouncing up and down. And then it, I felt as though... I was walking through like the reptile exhibit with kind of the sticky humidity of the, um, like at the zoo. And then when I would look down, the leaves would look like children's toys just littered the trail, like, like children's little, like superhero toys or animal toys. And it was, it was a really weird feeling. And every tree would look like something that wasn't a tree. Uh, it was, it was strange. I knew I was hallucinating, but I also was seeing things that I knew it looked like I was seeing. It's kind of like watching a movie, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> After you finished college, I mean, you, you had a pretty buttoned-down job, right? You Was it like finance, right? Kind of a, a tie, suit, like cubicle kind of existence, right? Yeah. I, uh, yep, worked in finance, worked with small businesses, so it was very different than the don't shower for two weeks hiking world, but <laughs> yeah, definitely not much crossover there. Yeah. I got a question for you. I'm just, pro- I'm still just processing. Yeah, I know. This is like a just, lot I'm, to take. In. So yeah. It's just so much, so many miles. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have a question for you. you I, I know you've had this before and I think we've even talked about it, but how did you get your trail name legend? Yeah. Good question. Cause it sounds pretty conceited to be called legend, but um, I got my trail name on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2011. We were camped, I believe it's called Grassy Hollow Visitor Center by Wrightwood. And, er, yeah, I believe Wrightwood, yeah. And we were kind of wishing we'd packed out town food like a pizza. And so I was the youngest and wanted to impress everyone. So I said that I would go back into town and come back with uh, pizza, steak, and beer. So I disappeared for an hour, just wore my Crocs, got a hitch into town, got a pizza, showed back up to the group with pizza and steak and stuff, and they said the act was legendary, and they named me Legend. That's awesome. <laughs> but I guess that was your first hike, so obviously that, you know, usually you get trail names early on, but now you actually have sort of lived up to that name. Do you feel like the fact that they named you Legend has like pushed you to do these like more and more sort of epic and difficult adventures? Yeah, I I don't know. I think early on and so on that first hike, people were saying you can't just do one hike now that you have such a cool trail name. And I'm sure from the outside looking in, people 
think someone named Legend has to have named themselves and <laughs> be kind of weird in that regard. But yeah, I was told I can't have that name and only do one hike. So maybe it did push me a little bit. <laughs> I love the fact that it came from pizza and steak. Yeah. That's awesome. And again, now that you've kind of become more known in the world, probably people probably do people just assume that it's from like your your sort of achievements? I think most people do think it's come from all the hiking and stuff. But yeah, it came from way before I did anything too epic. <laughs> so now one of the best things about all these images is you now have a book that you've written about uh about these things. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I wrote so the book is about the calendar year triple crown and that adventure because and that's really so i'd done the pacific crest trail and the pacific northwest trail but that's really the first time i tried to push myself in a bigger way than just a through hike and so it i started february 5th on the appalachian trail and it was snowy the entire way three feet of snow in the smoky mountains and it got to negative 15 so I hiked most of that trail in the winter and alone and um, had quite a few issues and a lot of learning along the way because I had no backpacking or snow, snow or winter backpacking experience and fought through that trail, swam a cup, across a couple rivers in Maine and never been so scared for my life, but I survived it and then hiked, flew from there to San Diego and hiked the Pacific Crest Trail northbound pretty early through the Sierra and then took the train out to Glacier and hiked the Continental Divide Trail southbound and uh, which was my first experience on that trail so I've learned a lot and got attacked by a moose and thunderstorms and all kinds of fun stuff so it just kind of highlights all and goes through the the whole adventure of that and from the perspective of not having known what I was getting myself into for most of it. If you knew what you're going to get into, would would that have changed your desire to do it? Or is it better just to kind of go in a, a little bit, you know, maybe naive or ignorant? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's the biggest thing is going in flexible and having just enough knowledge, but not too much. Like for the 7,000 mile loop last year, I decided I was going to do it two weeks before I left. So I only planned it for two weeks and it's just going with the bare minimum. But yeah, on the calendar year, triple crown, I, if I knew I would have got snowed on three feet of snow and dropped to negative 15 in the Smokies, and this is in week two, I might've really reconsidered my, my idea of the adventure just because that was pretty miserable in week two you're sore and trying to figure things out too so I was pretty pretty near wanting to quit <laughs> do you have one memory that sticks out of, like your favorite memory of like wish I could go back to that moment uh yeah there was this one there's this peak I believe it's called Cottonwood Peak in southern Montana and it's a little ways off the trail off the Continental Divide Trail but there you can just walk across kind of the open expanse and I was hiking that day saw the mountain saw that it was climbable on my map and just decided I wanted to climb it so I got to spend the whole day making my own adventure climbing making a route to the peak climbing uh, um, climbing up the peak and then traveling back to the trail and I think that freedom and flexibility to get to choose that was really cool and made it this 
like I got to choose how exactly how I wanted that day to go and all those little decisions and things you get to do like that are pretty cool when you just get to decide you want to do something and go ahead and do it because there's not too many hurdles in the way of getting it done. One thing I, uh, one of my favorite things about your book is how you're uh, publicizing it. <laughs> you oh, you like, the, uh, you like the, uh, tasteful? Yeah the, yeah, the very tasteful way in which you've chosen to, to market your book. Yeah. Well, I've never been a huge fan of clothing, but I like to be pretty <laughs> tasteful. So with a few, with a well-placed book, you can just, you know, post a photo that's legal to put online. So I've been using my book to make my photos tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> tasteful might be a stretch for some of them, I have to say. <laughs> well, taste it's it's a matter of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely been some that I've taken that were not they crossed the tasteful line so they didn't make it up there. Yeah. One or two other through hikers have now used your book in the same way, right? To like help uh help get it out there. Yeah, I think it's it's a trend catching on. I get quite a few unique DMs. <laughs> but <laughs> It's always interesting opening one up where it says it's a photo. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> so I'm kind of happy that this is an audio-only thing right now because I'm kind of afraid. Are you even wearing clothes right now? I Yeah, I'm wearing shorts, so okay. everyone's safe. <laughs> <laughs> and we will not be helping you promote your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In that way. No. In, that way. In, in this in way, that way, hopefully we will be. In, in, in any other way. <laughs> yeah, the audio-only style of promoting it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But no photo, and no one. I think we would. People would like throw your book away. I think if if, uh, if I tried. To do that. We'll, we'll yeah, um, they might send more books. Yeah, to cover up more. Jeff, where are you based out of, and how do you locally train for these big adventures? Well, that that is a little complicated of a question for me. I lived in Denver for most of the last five years, and then this year I've been. A little all over the place. I spend most time between Portland and Denver. And then I spent the winter in Tahoe and I trained at elevation and ran in blizzards. There's actually some of my favorite photos are ones I took while running the streets while it was snowing and all the locals thought I was crazy. But I've tried to, if it's a big FKT or an effort or something, I try to get to elevation to train so i did the john muir trail before doing attempting the long trail speed record and i went to arizona and trained on the arizona trail before attempting the arizona trail speed record so i've tried to get to elevation or get on the trails directly before an attempt at a fastest known time from making the documentary i did on the on the jmt fastest known times i know a lot of these people view it almost in a lot of ways as kind of like a math problem. You know, it's like, well, if I do three miles per hour for this many days at this many time, I can get this many hours of sleep and that. Do you have, do you do it that way or do you just kind of just kind of make it up as you go along and try to go as hard as you can? Yeah, I make it up as I go along. Like for the long trail I just took, I bought three, um, three bags of frozen burritos and that's what I ate for the, the long trail as they thought out I would eat them. And I didn't really plan too much and it was just like go as hard as I can night one and night two try to get some sleep and then after that just go by feel on something like the Arizona trail which was 15 and a half days I did have more of a system of knowing 
um, or of planning to, for the first half, I was going to try to sleep at least four to five hours a night just so that I was fresh enough and wouldn't fail because I just was too tired because you can't continually push, I don't think, for 15 or it was, yeah, 15 days. So the goal there was to just be healthy enough for the final push. So there's a little bit of a method, but I've I've never been accused of over planning something. <laughs> Did you just go to like 7-Eleven and buy these burritos? I'm sorry, I'm very curious about these burritos. It's like a convenience gas station purchase. Like where were these burritos acquired? <laughs> it was uh, just, I flew into Burlington, Vermont. I was waiting to get picked up and I went to the supermarket and just found the cheapest Del Monterey burritos and bought, I think it was like three ninety nine for eight of them. Maybe it was two ninety nine and bought three three things of them and a sleeve of dates or a bag of dates and a big thing, a big bag of nuts, and that was about what I ate for, for the long trail for six days. Could you even look at another burrito or at least frozen burrito after that? I mean, <laughs> have you had a burrito since? So yeah, I did this method of resupplying where I wouldn't buy 24, but maybe like one bag of them. And I'd been doing that for a couple months, but that, yeah, it really took it to another level. So I've been t- trying to eat different things while on trail now, because the it was pretty hard to stomach the last few burritos. Just trying to eat 24 burritos in six days just in normal life is a little much. Well, yeah, that's like its own endurance thing. Is there like a <laughs> known time for eating 26 frozen burritos? I mean, that, you know, I wonder if there's a website tracking this stuff because you might have gotten that record as well. Yeah, I mean, that would be a nice one to add to my resume. <laughs> Do you have a preferred flavor of a said burrito? Is it like a bean and cheese thing or like? Usually bean and cheese uh, for shorter things. I can venture more into the meat realm, but the meat makes me nervous if I'm just carrying them through the summer heat in my pack anyways. So bean and cheese is usually the safe way. And then I'll grab some hot sauce packets. And you have not gotten sick on this method yet. Just, just, just to be clear, right? I have not. No, it's been, it seemed to work really good. Have you done any of like the more like the, 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 uh, the perpetuum, any of the powder stuff or any of the like fancy sort of engineered sport foods have you tried those um i have not i've been meaning to because i've thought about like venturing more into trying some ultra marathons and stuff but and i've been meaning to start trying some of the powders and liquid calories but i have not ventured into that yet i guess i'm just too comfortable eating tortillas and burritos (laughs) who isn't yeah. I can't remember. I was trying to think of the last time I ate a frozen burrito, and, and it's been decades, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're completely average, just like you'd think. So. <laughs> they're not remarkable. <laughs> no, no, they're definitely not. They're just very convenient. Easy to eat while walking. Yeah. Oh, so when you're when you're back in town, do you have like a favorite burrito place? I do like Bonfire Burrito out here in Golden, Colorado, but I'm not a big foodie. I mostly just eat like a lot of avocados and try to be somewhat healthy in society. After doing these hikes, I'm sure you kind of think back and you go, you know, if I had known it was going to be like this, I would have done this differently. I would have carried this other gear or not carried this gear. What are maybe one or two things that you would do differently based on some of your previous adventures? Yeah, as far as the gear goes, I think most of the hikes you I can think back and be like, well, I didn't really use that. But now, as far as gear goes, I'm more along the lines like 
I I didn't know the weather was going to be like it was or it was better or worse than I expected. So I usually am just like I didn't use my tent at all on the long trail, but I felt fine carrying it just because it felt like it was just a tarp anyways. But if I needed to use it, I didn't want to not have it. So as far as gear, I'm usually pretty, pretty okay with carrying exactly what I carry now. But as far as the mindset and things like that, I went into the long trail in Vermont with not a ton of knowledge. And I wish I would have had better like benchmarks and micro goals that would have made up the, the 270 mile FKT because it was pretty disheartening the second and third day to struggle and only get, I think it was like 35 and, or around 35 miles each of those days and think that maybe my chances of getting the speed record were over. So, and I just didn't really know or conceptualize that the second half was basically the Appalachian trail. So it's a lot faster and smoother than the rugged first half. And not knowing that was a pretty hard obstacle and thing to motivate myself to keep going when it felt like I was just falling further and further behind the first half. So I think always looking back, the mindset and mentality is one of those things that I've never nailed, but I've gotten decent at trying to overcome stuff. Was it your foot or your ankle? Didn't you injure yourself yeah, on the long trail I, as well? Yeah, I injured my ankle on pretty much exactly at the midway point, and it swelled up and stuff, but I didn't, like I might have slept one more time for a couple hours and then had an hour nap. So I was never like off my ankle enough for, I guess, it too much issue to set in. And then after the trail is when I really noticed how much I messed it up. And it's better now, I hope. Are you uh, healed? (laughs) Yeah, like 90% healed. I definitely showed my body a thing or two this year. So (laughs) I should probably lay in bed for a month and get better. But there's definitely some leftover aches and pains, but it's all part of the fun. I guess just in general, like in a broader sense, like what is it, can you, can you even describe sort of like physically what it feels like to put your body through something like, like that? Like a, you know, in Arizona, like one of those longer FKTs. Yeah. It's like, so if anyone's run a marathon, you usually hit the wall at mile 20 and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, how am I going to run six more miles? It's like that moment for days kind of. Oh my gosh. But it's, it's this thing where physically it's hard and it hurts, but like day two, you've pushed for 48 hours and you're physically exhausted and your muscles are tired, but it doesn't really get worse. It doesn't compound after that. It's more of just the mental push that's like, I know it's like, I'm really stiff or I need to get up and walk or my alarm's going off and I should get up. It's 4 a.m. or something. It's more the mental side that becomes it. I think the physical side is more just, it could just be used as an excuse why you quit or something. It's more, I think the mental side is, it's, yeah, you you can overcome it physically. It's It's the mental thing where it's day two and you're like, on the Arizona Trail, I have 14 more days to go where that's where it's kind of a thing that's hard to think about. <laughs> On your FKTs, how much of it are you running versus speed hiking versus walking? Yeah, it's mostly mostly speed hiking. I'll run some of the downhills, and I did that a little in Arizona, but 
the key is to try to not take my pack off throughout the whole day. So I have the things I'm going to eat in the outside pocket. And now I use a pack with the mesh on the back. It's cut slanted so I can reach behind my me with my pack on and reach into the bottom of the mesh. And it's just like efficiency, I think, is the the key. So I think runners, you know, do a route and run or whatever as much as they can. But for me, it's more just the continual motion and not slowing down. And there's no wasted time. There's no sit down to catch my breath. It's just the continual push. What kind of shoes do you wear? I'm always curious. What is your shoe of choice? Right now I'm using Adidas Terex, mostly because I really like how good of traction the soles have. But I've used Columbia's and stuff in the past too. So now that you, you sort of have you know, created a name for yourself, I think there is still a misconception that there, you're able to support yourself or do the kind of thing. That really isn't the case, right? There really isn't sort of like any kind of uh, financial thing you know, or benefit to this. You just do this because you love it and like the passion of it, right? Yeah, I don't make any money for doing these FKTs or anything like that. So yeah, if there is that misconception, there is no like <laughs> financial, there's no financial incentive to be hallucinating for 48 hours straight. It's more just to see if I can do it and see what kind of me comes out the other side. What's your next adventure? What's next year look like? I don't know about a fastest known time in the future. I might sneak one and I'm kind of playing around with the idea. The biggest goal that I haven't had a chance to tackle is the Barkley Marathon. So Have you submitted? Or have you been accepted to do it? Because it's like he only takes like 50 people, right? Yeah, it takes four. Yeah, I think just 40 or 42. But I was on the wait list last year, which means I should move up the wait list well, I won't get any further down on the wait list. So my chances to get in this year will be, uh, I don't know, solid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty intense, man. That'd be pretty amazing if you were if you were able to finish that thing. That's super cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think it's usually a lot of ultra runners. So it's 100, over 100 miles and five loops of roughly 26 miles each. But the runners that I've talked to to even have the end to submit they think of it more like wow 26 miles is so long to be out there on your own where in my mind it's like oh my gosh we get to resupply and have crew every 26 miles <laughs> exactly. it's a luxury yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that's so funny have, have you, have you, now now that you've you know obviously done some of these trails several times do you, do you have any interest in going back and like doing the pct again or doing the continental or appalachian trail again or are you looking you know, like towards other long adventures or long trails like that? Yeah, I would. Well, I've done the PCT three times, so I love that trail, but I don't know if I want to do that again in the near future. But I would love to, so I've done fast now. I've done something really long or a couple things really long. I would love to do something more rugged and out there, kind of, I guess, the dream, nothing planned, but something in Alaska where it's like you get a couple – resupplies or caches dropped by by a bush plane and you're just like out there hiking for a month or something that would be pretty cool to be that disconnected yeah. you should do like the, the iditarod they have that as a yeah. they do that as a trail run hike <laughs> yeah yeah i could look into they that they do it human powered yeah wow yeah no joke <laughs> man yeah go. but i'd love to get to alaska in some way or another have you never been never been oh wow yeah <laughs> You'd love it up there. 
Yeah, I think so. So got to get up there and check it out. Do people call you legend like off trail? Um, I think <laughs> most people off trail call me homeless Jeff because I don't have a car anymore. <laughs> oh, I like that one. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I, I don't know how we're going to top this interview after that one. So, so um, you know, defrost a, defrost a frozen burrito, have some lunch, and uh, thanks again for doing this, legend. We, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Glad I could give you the insight into the world of frozen burritos. <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. Wow, that was a really great interview. And I really enjoyed hearing the stories about the long trail. That is amazing that you did 20,000 feet of vertical in the first day. I can't even imagine. But the really amazing thing was that his gut was able to handle those burritos. And I understand, Severia, <laughs> you have a follow-up to that. I do have a follow-up. So... I can't imagine actually walking as much as he walks in any one given moment, but I could imagine trying the bean and cheese burrito thing. So this past weekend on a hike, my husband and I stopped at the gas station to get gas and I got all excited. I was like, I need to find a frozen burrito. And so we grabbed a bean and cheese burrito and tossed it in the pack and it, we had it for lunch. It was perfect. It was actually made a great snack. Awesome. Yeah, totally there you go. inspired. I, I don't know if my stomach could handle one frozen burrito even. <laughs> this, back in the day when I was, you know, 20 years ago, totally. Now, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't like that kind of stuff anymore. It's kind of sad. So we have an extra special guest uh, in studio. I would say in our studio, but we're actually in his studio. So we're technically guests in his things. But he's a guest on our podcast. So... Everyone, it's uh, PB of Opus Orange. Hello, and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have a new album coming out. We do. It's called Miles From Nowhere. It's out on uh, February 21st. And the single, the preceding single, will be out on February 7th. So, again, if you're listening to this live, as of when it comes out, this, that'll be next week. If you're listening to it later, it's already out. So definitely go out and grab it. So, PB, you're going to play us a song from the new album? I am. It's called Miles From Nowhere. Great, I'm excited to hear it. Name of the album, too. Um, this will be a stripped-down version uh, of what's on the album. I woke up from another dream I'm always seeing things that I should not believe But I take my time I feel you fade Don't look now What was here has gone away Somewhere 
did we get miles from nowhere? Fantastic. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. That was that was just great. Um, so we're going to be having a whole episode basically dedicated TB to PB coming up in uh, in a few months. But uh, for now, again, his album is probably out at this time. If you're listening to it, if not, it's out in a couple days. So so go out and get it. Stream it. Stream it. I don't think people get anything these days. No, no yeah. one really buys anything <laughs> anymore, sadly. But uh, download it. If you can pay for it, pay for it. If not, just listen to it. <laughs> we appreciate it all. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, PB. You bet. That's going to wrap it up uh, for this episode of the Almost There Adventure podcast. You can find PB. Well, tell them where, where can we find you, PB? You can find me on all the streaming stuff uh, under Opus Orange on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. All those places. And Instagram and, of course, Twitter. Oh, yeah, uh, on the social Twitter, medias, too. All those places under, under at Opus Orange, correct? At Opus Orange. And if you feel you need more uh, epic adventures and tasteful nudity in your life, you can follow Jeff Garmeyer, a.k.a. Legend, at The Free Outside. You can find Severia at The Adventurous Women. That's Adventure U.S. Women. Yep. I haven't said that right once, I don't think, in these outdoors. You can find Jeff at SoCal Hiker. That's actually at the SoCal. At the SoCal Hiker. I haven't gotten that one right yet either. And you can find me at the Muir Project, which I've gotten right every single time. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll be back in two weeks with another edition of the Almost There Adventure Podcast.